0: This message is called redirect. If you can throw the graphic up on the screen. A couple people asked me, what does this have to do with redirect? And I figure if a couple people ask, it deserves a bit of an explanation. Whoever the artist is there, that was their depiction of Saul getting thrown off his horse on the road to Damascus, having an encounter with Jesus, which changed his life and the entire direction and course of his life. Of course, he changed his name. God changed his name to Paul after that. So that was the depiction. That is uh, supposed to be the Apostle Paul uh, and his life being redirected in a moment, which I'm going to use him today as an example of what we can redirect in our lives and see victory. Because let me tell you, You got everything you need. You have everything you need in Christ to get where God is calling you to go. One of my favorite Bible stories and my favorite moments in the entire Bible is Moses, who at one point had power, right? He was the Prince of Egypt. That's why the movie is called The Prince of Egypt. He was raised in the palace. He had possibly an army at his command. He had power. He had respect. He had authority. And his people were captive, and it wasn't until he lost all that, 40 years later in the desert with nothing in his hand except for a staff, and God says through the burning bush, "'Moses, go set my people free.'" And I'm sure he was thinking, why not 40 years ago when I had power? Why not 40 years ago when I could have commanded an army? Why not 40 years ago when I had chariots and horses? Why now, God, why now? And Moses said, with what? That was the question he said to God in the burning bush. With what? And God said, what is in your hand? He had a stick, a staff. He said, what's in your hand? Moses said, I have a staff. And God said, when you get to Pharaoh, throw it down. Obviously, we know what happened. It became a snake and it started the process of the people being set free. You, like Moses, have everything you need in your hand at your command. You just have to see it that way. You got to redirect some of your thinking to the proper path. You got to redirect some of your time, some of your attention to the right places, and you will see victory. It just takes a bit of a redirect. This has been in my heart for about six months, and I'll tell you why. About six months ago, I went to see my mom at her house, and she had a friend, she has a friend, whose husband was working on his car in his garage. Well, the car, if I remember the story correctly, fell off the jack while he was under it, and he, he was okay. He had some bad bruises and some bad cuts. But listen, if a car falls on you, that could very easily end in something way worse than injuries. That could very easily end in death. This car fell on him. And as she's telling mom the story, she throws in this little nugget at the end. I I just don't understand when it will be enough. I don't understand when, when God will be done punishing me for all the things I've done wrong in my life. Is this not enough? Why does he keep punishing me? And I said, Mom... Does your friend think that God made the car fall on her husband's head instead of thinking that maybe God saved him from not dying when the car fell on his head? Maybe it wasn't God pushing the car over. Maybe God saved him from dying. Maybe that's the reason he only has injuries. That's not the way she thinks. She said something to the nature of, uh, I don't have the faith to believe it. Something about not having enough faith, but I don't understand why he keeps punishing me. And when my mom told me that story, something sparked on the inside, and I thought, she actually has a lot of faith, right? This lady has so much faith, it's just not in the true God. She has faith that there is a God in heaven, and that in His vast power, in His vast global universal authority over everything, He took the time to punish her individually by punishing her husband with an injury for the things that she did wrong in her life. She believes and has faith that there is a God in heaven who has a little tally of all the wrong things that she has done and says, all right, you've been punished for this one. Now it's time to punish you for this one. Now it's time to punish you for this one. That is a lot of faith. The issue is that it's not in the real God. She's never taken the time to pick this up and read about his true nature, which is to love and to heal and to bless and to honor us because of Jesus. She has a ton of faith. It's just not directed to the true God. She's got to pick this up and read it. I I shared this with our discipleship class on Tuesday night. I, I used to work at a place called Brinks. It's the armored car place where you pick up money, but I was too young to be on the cars. I was too young to do anything. I think they hired me on accident. So they ended up putting me in this currency room where I just counted cash all day. counted cash from Concord Mills Mall and all the banks and made these deposits to the Federal Reserve and just to give you an idea of how much physical cash I counted uh, at Christmas time and around Thanksgiving, it was pretty normal for me to personally count about 90 to 100 million dollars in cash every day, put it in a bucket, giant buckets, and send it to the Federal Reserve. So that was what I did every day. A lot of cash passed through my hands and everybody else's. I was just one of 13 people in that currency room. And on day one, when I got hired, my boss handed me uh, a $1 bill, a 5 a 10 a 20 a 50 and a 100 And she said, just sit down and stare at these bills for a couple days. And the reason is because fake currency comes through quite often. Every day we get a little bit of fake currency. The machine would spit it out, and then it'd be our job to figure out why it was fake, mark it as fake, write up some stuff. But the reason we studied the real bills is because the fake ones always change. The fake ones always change. As soon as there's a a group of fake bills that get discovered, they just change them. And there's a new, more close to the original bill that comes through. That's why you don't study the fake ones. As long as you know the real ones inside and out, you'll spot the fake ones no matter how often they change. Fun story to hear. The only time I got stumped with fake bills was when a bunch of 50s kept coming through. And every time I studied them, I'm like, these are real. I cannot figure this out. I took them to my boss and she sat there and stared at those $50 bills for a good hour. And she came out and she goes, these are real bills. And I said, that's what I thought. And she goes, they are real $5 bills. Somebody had taken a little green foil zero and putting it at the end and made all the fives 50s. But that's why I couldn't figure that one out because I was looking and I, I saw a real bill there. It just wasn't a real 50, it was a real five, right? So." As long, however, as you study the real ones, you will eventually spot the phonies no matter how phony they are. If this lady would just take time to study, to figure out who God is instead of what I'm assuming she's just been told her whole life. For all I know, she sat in a church service one day and somebody said, you know, you better watch out. God will punish you for your sins, completely ignoring the fact that God punished Jesus, a perfect man for our sins. And now because he received our punishment, we get a reward, we get to go to heaven. It's a very unfair trade, but I thank God for unfair trades, right? My sins were laid on Jesus. He took the punishment for our sins and now we don't get punished by God. I'll tell you what does punish us at times, it's not God, it's our sin. There is punishment built into certain sins that we blame God for sometimes. And really it's us, right? Well, Lord, I don't know why I don't have any money. It's because you're not very good with your money. You got debt, you spend more than you make. It's not God punishing you. You being bad with your finances is punishing you. It will eventually catch up. There's lots of other ones I can go into, right? Uh, Disrespect, man, people aren't going to respect you. That's a punishment built into this sin of disrespect right? Uh, Whatever you want to go. Anger. Man, you make some bad decisions when you get overly angry. There are punishments built into that. That's why it's good to operate in the spirit of self-control that every believer is able to operate in because of the Holy Spirit. This lady, man, she needs to get in here and discover for herself who God is. And then she won't look at this accident and say, God, why are you punishing me? She'll look at this accident and she'll say, thank you, Lord, this could have been way worse. My husband could be dead instead of just having a head injury. He could be dead instead of just bleeding bad. He could be dead instead of just at the hospital. You saved him. She needs to direct all that faith into the proper place, into the real God. You know, the apostle Paul who we have depicted right up there. Uh, He, he, if you don't know his history, I'm assuming a a lot of us in here do, but if you don't, he was a Pharisee that persecuted Christians with every fiber of his being. Right? He persecuted Christians with every fiber of his being. He hated Jesus. He hated the message of the cross. He was a Pharisee. Pharisees uh, were known for taking the letter of the law and condemning everybody who couldn't live up to it. Who couldn't live up to the letter of the law? Raise your hand, because we're all in that category. Everybody. They walked around condemning everybody. Jesus himself, when talking to the Pharisees, said, hey, you know a whole lot of scripture, but you don't understand them. You, under, you, you know scripture by heart, but you can't see that they all point to me. You point all these scriptures at at other people and you condemn them with it. This was who Paul was. Paul was present when the first martyr was martyred. It says he approved the killing of Stephen, the first Christian who was martyred, who was killed for the gospel. Paul approved that. He hunted Christians down. And then this moment happened. He was on the road to Damascus. He was going to find some more Christians to persecute. All of a sudden, his horse stops in his tracks, throws him off because an angel of the Lord, in fact, Jesus himself appeared right there on the road to Damascus. And he said, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And all of a sudden, Saul had an encounter with Jesus. And we know Jesus is the Logos, the Word. John 1 1 says, in the beginning was the Word, the Word was God, the Word was with God. Paul had an encounter with Jesus. He had an encounter with the living word. And all that effort, all that attention, all that energy, he spent hunting Christians down to persecute them, to kill them, to stop the spreading of the gospel was redirected towards him becoming the greatest missionary of all time, was redirected towards him writing scripture, writing Peter, Peter who walked beside Jesus in the flesh. In 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 16, he says, our brother Paul writes scripture that is hard to understand. In other words, the guy who walked side by side with Jesus in the flesh wrote this about Paul. He is writing scripture. Peter, the disciples, recognized even in the time that Paul had a revelation that they didn't quite have. In other words, this encounter with Jesus didn't just leave him different. It left him very different. Every bit of that energy and effort he had directed towards stopping the spread of the gospel was redirected towards spreading the gospel, and he set the world on fire He set the world on fire. He went from killing Christians to getting people saved to creating more Christians. He went from approving the killing of Stephen, the first martyr, to literally ended up giving his own life for the gospel, laying his own life down for the gospel. He was called to make disciples, yet the enemy had him fooled at one point to where he was killing disciples. That's a little side note. So many times in your life, the enemy is attacking you in the area you're called to go in. I mean, you can if you have a if you're if you're seeing the enemy, if you're seeing uh, if you're losing in the area of your finances and you don't see victory and the enemy's attacking you there, you're called to do something. that's going to take you being a good steward of your finances. If the enemy attacks you with fear, anxiety on a regular basis, you better believe your calling is going to involve you actually being brave, yeah. right? You going out and taking a step of faith and and and, and taking a risk. The enemy attacks you where you're called to go. And that's where he was attacking Paul. He had Paul completely turned around, but he had an encounter with Jesus, right? That encounter with Jesus is still available, right? If he doesn't show up in person on a road and stop you in your tracks, this is the same. You can open this up and have that same type of encounter that Paul had. I can't tell you how many times people in specifically in our discipleship class have said something to the nature of, I've misunderstood God my entire life. I've misunderstood his nature. I've always seen him as angry. I can't believe that the Bible says he's not angry, that he actually flows in the oil of gladness, that he looks at me and he smiles. He doesn't look at me and frown, right? People say this because they've never listened to this for themselves. They've heard other people Right, they've taken other people's word for gospel, but you can pick this up, and you can read the good news at any point, and you can redirect all that faith you have, you can redirect all that time and attention that you're given, whatever else that has power in your life, to the actual God that has all the power. Acts twenty three six is when Paul says he was a Pharisee. If you're wondering where that reference is, he says, Paul realized some members of the high council were Sadducees and some were Pharisees. So he shouted, brothers, I'm a Pharisee, as were my ancestors, and I'm on trial because my hope is in the resurrection of the dead. Man, hope is one of those things that you got plenty of it. You got plenty of it. It's just some of us have our hope directed in the other direction, and when it's directed in the other direction, it's called worry, right? Worry is literally the same thing you hope with. Worry is picturing the negative outcome. Hope is picturing the positive outcome. If you say I'm just not a very hopeful person, it's because your hope is going in the wrong direction, right? You got to redirect all that worry to hope. How do I do that? I'm not going to give you an easy lightning bolt answer. I'm sorry. It's not going to be come to the altar, right? That's not how you redirect your hope. No, it's picking up the word and having an encounter with Jesus, with the word. This is who he is. You got to read this. And when you read what he's done for you, when you read how God sees you, when you get a revelation that you're no longer getting punished for your sins because Jesus was punished for your sins. Instead of running away from God, when you mess up, you're gonna run straight to him. You're gonna fall down at the foot of the cross and you're gonna say, thank you so much that here in the midst of my greatest failure, you still love me just as much. That here in the middle of my greatest shortcoming, you're not looking at me frowning, but you're running to me with open arms. And then all that negative worry, we should just, negative hope, worry, we should just call worry negative hope from now on, right? Yeah. We turn it around, we redirect it, and all of a sudden we're so hopeful because the next time we mess up, instead of getting down and going down that path of now it's, I'm too far gone, immediately that hope will spark and we'll say, thank you, Lord, you're going to be right, you're right with me as I stand up, move forward, shake this thing off and run with it. I want to read Galatians chapter 3, verses 1 through 14. And as we read this, I'm going to stop and talk about a few of the verses. But I want you to think about this because Paul is writing this to the church in Galatia. And it's completely an opposing view to the way he lived before his encounter with Jesus. Remember, he was a Pharisee guys that said, if you don't live by the letter of the law, you are no good. You don't have a place in the kingdom of God. You don't have a place with God. You have messed up. They they love telling people you're too far gone. And they actually added to the word, the Pharisees, right? You think about the 10 commandments, boy, they had more than you can imagine. They added thousands of commandments. They made little sub-commandments, right? They made little, they, they, their outline might have started with the 10 commandments, have no other gods before me. And then they had little subtitles underneath that said, uh, this includes blah, blah, blah. And I'm telling you, they added to the word. It was, it was, they were, they were hardcore, these Pharisees. That's the way Paul lived. And here's what he writes to the church in Galatia in, uh, chapter three, verse one. He says, foolish Galatians, who has cast an evil spell on you? For the meaning of Jesus Christ's death was made as clear to you as if you had seen a picture of his death on the cross. Let me ask you this one question. Did you receive the Holy Spirit by obeying the law of Moses? Well, this is rhetorical, but he answers it anyway. Of course not. You did not receive the Holy Spirit by obeying the law of Moses. You received the Spirit because you believed the message You had heard about Christ. Paul was the guy that would tell people before his encounter with Jesus, you want to receive the Holy Spirit? You want to to enjoy the kingdom of God one day when you leave this life? You better obey every part of the law of Moses. Here he is now saying, okay, I was wrong. It's not about the law of Moses. You receive the Holy Spirit by believing He says, how foolish can you be after starting your new lives in the spirit? Why are you now trying to become perfect by your own human effort? So the Galatians started off as they believed, they understood grace, somebody came to them and taught a different message than Paul, and they had changed their beliefs and they had started adding some of the law to their belief that they were saved by grace. Specifically, there was some talk about you need to be circumcised if you want to go to heaven. That's so ridiculous. Paul's like, no, it is not about anything you can do on your own, even though he used to believe that. He says, of course not. It's because you believe the message you heard about Christ. In the same way, Abraham believed God and God counted him as righteous because of his faith. The real children of Abraham then are those who put their faith in God. What's more, the scriptures looked forward to this time when God would make the Gentiles right in his sight because of their faith. Paul used to preach a message that no matter what, the Gentiles couldn't be saved. That's what the Pharisees believed. It didn't matter. You weren't born into the right family. You have no place in this family no matter what. Here he is after his encounter with Jesus saying everybody on earth, can partake in this goodness if they just believe it was the exact opposite of where his message used to be directed. God proclaimed this good news to Abraham long ago when he said, all nations will be blessed through you. So all who put their faith in Christ share the same blessing Abraham received because of his faith. But those who depend on the law to make them right, that he used to preach all those who depend on the law to make them right with God are under his curse For the scriptures say, cursed is everyone who does not observe and obey all the commands that are written in God's book of the law. It is clear that no one can be made right with God by trying to keep the law. Man, we could just stop right there. Nobody can be made right with God by trying to keep the law. Listen, it's so easy to still fall into this trap. I haven't been very good today. I haven't had a good week. I better not go ask God to help me with this thing. I better not go to God in prayer. He's not going to be happy with me. That's just not how it works. It was never our own goodness that made us right with God. It is Jesus that makes us right with God. And if he's still worthy, we can still go to God. And we can still go to him boldly no matter what we have done. It is through... This way of faith is very different from the way of the law, which says it is through obeying the law that a person has life. But Christ has rescued us from this curse pronounced by the law. When he was hung on the cross, he took upon himself the curse for our wrongdoing. It is written in scriptures, cursed is everyone who's hung on a tree. Through Christ Jesus, God has blessed the Gentiles with the same blessing he promised to Abraham so that we who are believers might receive the promised Holy Spirit through faith. His redirected message was the exact opposite of what it was before. And he set the world on fire. We got messages that we've been giving people. We got thoughts in our head, right? We, If you still deal with this thought that you don't measure up or something that you have done is is, is God is looking at you and punishing you or you're in the situation you're in because God it, it puts you there, man, there's... Uh, Brittany's talked about this before, Pastor Brittany, that when it comes to giving, she said this in her last message, that she heard somebody say this a long time ago, and she bought into it fully, that if you don't tithe, God's going to get his money somehow, you'll get in a wreck or something, and then you'll, you'll lose the money that way, and man, that doesn't make any sense, and I'm so sorry somebody told her that, but there are so many things we believe in. It's like we got the capacity to believe great things. We're just believing the wrong great things. Right. We got to learn the word just like I had to learn what a real hundred dollar bill looked like so that I could spot the fake ones. If you're tossed to and fro every time you hear somebody say a new thing, the Bible says that a double minded person is tossed to and fro. They're unstable in all their ways. Listen, if you buy into every TikTok video you see that says this is something you've always thought was one way, but look, it's a different way. You've always thought this Bible verse means this. Here's what it means. You thought you were eating this healthy, but I don't care what it is. If you buy into everything you see, you need to get into the truth You need to read the word. You need to understand and have an encounter with the real Jesus. And man, you got the capacity to believe great things. You got the capacity to speak to a mountain and to see it move. Right? Well, Jesus said, if, if your faith was the size of a mustard seed, you could do that, right? That's a very tiny seed. And he wasn't making fun of you saying, look, you have this little bit of faith right here. It's smaller than this mustard seed because you can't speak to the mountain. And see if no, we have received the faith of Jesus. If you're a believer, you got the faith of Jesus on the inside of you. What he was saying is the exact opposite of what some people preach. He was saying you got way more faith than the size of a mustard seed. You just got to believe that's the missing element. But you got to know what to believe in. Right. So many people believe in the wrong God. They believe in maybe the law instead of grace. Right. They believe I'm still I'm made right because of how good I am read the word, read Galatians three, find out you are right with God because of who Jesus is. And it's going to redirect all these different thought processes and you will see so much benefit and victory in your life. It'll change your entire life. I got a few things written down here that it'll change a few things written down that you will start to see redirected when you have an encounter with Jesus specifically in his word when you take this and you learn who he is i got a list here we're going to come back to several of these things and talk about them during this series but for right now i want to read these to you maybe expound on just a couple of them as we finish up this message today as we finish up today's service i'm gonna i'm gonna read these as you when you have an encounter with jesus as you get to know god and his true nature like this lady instead of blaming him when bad things happen and saying, why are you punishing me? Your first thought is going to be praise and thanksgiving that your life has been preserved in these horrible things that have happened. We have a world that's messed up. We make human mistakes. Somebody didn't secure that jack on that guy's car, right? It wasn't God. But instead of blaming him for these things in our life, we're going to thank him for where we're at. And when your blame redirects to thanksgiving, man, you don't know how many good things are unlocked in your life when you are thankful. We're going to talk about that pretty soon, too. That's our next series. And, uh, but, man, it takes your victimization and redirects it to gratitude. That's what that does. And I'm not a victim. I'm grateful for where I am, and I'm grateful for where you're taking me. I've yes. already talked about this one. It takes your worry and anxiety, right, and it directs it towards hope. Instead of picturing the negative outcome, we'll know who's on our side. We'll know that when God is for us, nobody can be against us. When the bank account looks thin, we'll know that we're blessed according to his riches and that we're gonna make it through because he's gonna supply all of our needs as we seek his kingdom first, no matter what. And then all of a sudden, our worry that I can't make it is redirected towards hope, you got me covered. I know that no matter what, you got me covered. Fear, fear and anxiety. If you deal with that in your life, Having an encounter with Jesus, getting to know Him through the Word, will redirect that fear towards faith. Fear is just fear is just misdirected faith. Fear is faith in the wrong thing. Fear is faith that this thing is going to go wrong. Fear is faith that the doctor's report is going to be negative. Fear is faith. My kids are going to grow up and be messed up. Fear is faith in lies. That's what fear is. Anxiety is faith in lies. Well, how do I know they're lies? You've got to study the real thing. How do I know those 50s are fake? I studied the real thing. How do I know these dollar bills are fake? I studied the real thing. When you live in anxiety, then you need to take all of your spare time and turn Yellowstone off and pick up the word, right? Turn whatever it is you're binging off and pick up the word. And if you don't do it, that's on you. And if you don't get the revelation, that's on you. God is not withholding. Here's the other side of that. Good news, if you never get it here on earth, we have a God that's so good, we still get to go to heaven one day and we're gonna have that full revelation. We have a God that's so good, if we never get it down here, we will eventually live in a place where we are not faced with fear and anxiety anymore. But I don't want to wait till I get there. I don't want to wait till I'm looking at him face to face, eye to eye, before I really get to know him. When it's all right here. John 1, 1, in the beginning was the word. The word was with God. The word was God. This is Jesus. That Jesus is here in these pages, in these words. You can have the same encounter with him that Paul had. Fear is faith that the stuff will go wrong. Faith, it just has to be pointed in the right direction. Here's a great example of this in Mark chapter 4. I'm not going to read the whole text, but this is when Jesus walked on the water. Um, Or this is when he silenced the storm. This is actually when he was sleeping on the boat and there was water uh, filling up the boat. Somehow he was still sleeping, getting soaking wet. I heard somebody say one time, I think he was faking. I think he was faking to see what the disciples would do. How could he lay there completely soaking wet and actually be asleep, right? Uh, Maybe he was. Who knows? All we know is that there was a storm. Jesus was supposedly on deck asleep, and they said, don't you care about us? Wake up. He woke up. He calmed the storm, and I love this line. It's easy to pass by because you're reading this and you're like, he just spoke to the storm and told it to be quiet, right? We make that the point of the story. There's so many points within every story in the Bible. Here's one of my favorite ones. Jesus said, why are you afraid? Do you still have no faith? This is after he calmed the storm. And then it says, the disciples were absolutely terrified. They were terrified of the storm. Now they're terrified of Jesus. Who is this man? They asked each other. Even the winds and waves obeyed him. Terrified is a good English word, and we don't get a really good depiction of what this means. What this basically means is that they were afraid of the storm, and then all of a sudden they saw what Jesus did, and they understood the fear of God. That's a different kind of fear, right? Fear of God is not, I'm afraid this storm will kill me. No, fear of God is looking at the Lord in awe and reverence. It's not saying, wow, you are the God of the universe and you take the time to see me where I'm at, little old me, one in eight billion people, one in 30 billion people, however many have ever lived here, and you take the time to know me and to punish me for my mistakes. No, you take the time to know me and to love me and to forgive me for my mistakes and to take me back every time I mess up. That is a fear that is built off all in reverence. And when we take our fear and instead of directing it towards life storms and getting anxiety as a result, we take our fear and we understand who God is and who Jesus is. And we place our fear on him and we have no more room to fear that storm. We have no more room to fear the storm when we're in the middle of it and we're like, man, this storm's pretty rough. Good thing I got this guy who commands the winds and the waves right here on my side. He's actually got more power than this storm but you have to have an encounter with Him to get that because you have an encounter with the storm every day, right? You have an encounter with the storm when you open your bank account. You have an encounter with the storm when you go to work. You have an encounter with the storm when that person who just rakes your nerves shows up in your life and starts raking your nerves. You have an encounter with the storm when you go in and you get laid off. You have an encounter with the storm because the world is messed up and because there's an enemy out there who is against you. But when you fear the one who is for you, then the answer is always, who can be against me if the one I fear is for me? Fear in the wrong direction equals anxiety. Fear in the right direction is faith. That's what happens when you have an encounter with Jesus. Your discouragement will be redirected towards encouragement because what happens when you have an encounter with Jesus, you stop comparing yourself to everybody around you and getting discouraged. And you compare yourself to who the word says you are and you get encouraged. You'll begin to rejoice for the success of others instead of being made jealous by the success of others. And when you humble yourself to rejoice with people as they get promoted, well, there's two different verses in the New Testament that said, when you are humble, God exalts you. First Peter five, six and seven, humble yourselves under the mighty power of God. And at the right time, he will lift you up in honor. Give all your worries and cares to God for he cares about you. And the effort you spend on trying to earn God's favor, the effort you have spent trying to make yourself right with God, like Martha, I gotta earn it, I gotta work to be accepted by Jesus. What it gets redirected to is just enjoying time in his presence like Mary. And let me tell you, when you work from his presence like Mary, instead of working for his presence like Martha, you can accomplish so much more. It's not that Martha was not accomplishing things, she was in her own power. But I'd rather go out there and accomplish things with the power of the Holy Spirit, right? because he can do so much more than I can do. But that's what will happen to your effort. Instead of trying to earn God's favor, you'll just work from a place of his presence and from his favor, you will be lit up. I love this one. You got plenty of tithes and you got plenty of offerings in your bank, in your wallet, however you want to talk about it. You're just giving them to the wrong place. They're directed towards Target. They're directed towards Amazon. They're directed towards this and that you will start to direct your tithes and offerings to the right place, to the house of God, to people in need. All of a sudden, people around you are going to have their needs met because you're meeting their needs. You got plenty of money. You just got to direct it in the right place. When you have an encounter with Jesus, that will happen. You worship something, for sure. Everybody worships something. You know how you worship something? It gets your attention. It gets your affection. Where your heart is, that's where your treasure is. You do worship something. When you have an encounter with Jesus, your worship will be directed towards Him instead of whatever it is you're worshiping. Some of you worship a guy or a girl. Some of you worship, I don't know, movies. Somebody worships their job. Somebody else here worships whatever. But your worship, your affection, your attention, your thoughts will be directed towards Jesus every time because when you have an encounter with Him, you can't stop thinking about Him. You can't stop being grateful for what He's done. The effort and the thoughts that you spend on holding on to offense, will be redirected towards loving others with kindness, putting their needs before your own. That's what will happen. Man, if you're the type of person that's offended, have an encounter with Jesus. Man, it takes a lot of effort to stay offended. It takes a lot of effort. That's one of my favorite uh, things in a TV show that uh we've watched over the years. It's just in a TV show, but there's so many people that this is a real thing for them. This person says, yeah, I don't talk to that person anymore. It's been years. And I don't even remember why we don't talk. And she's kind of bragging about it, right? But I I remember every time I see that, I think about how many times do we hold on to offenses? We don't even know how they started at a certain point, but we're still putting energy and effort to holding on to offense. And the Bible says that offense is a trap. It's the same word. The trap of the enemy in Psalm 91 is offense. Offense stops the word of God from working in your life. Okay, I think somebody here really needed to hear that. If you have been asking, why doesn't the word work in my life? check yourself. If you are a person who is offended at someone, that's why. That's the bottom line. I can show you that in scripture. Offense stops the word for working. That's it. That's the bottom line. Stop being offended and watch the word work. You're stopping it, not God. Even if they deserve it, even if you should be offended at this person, you got to drop it. They should get what they deserve. Well, thank God you don't get what you deserve. Thank God I don't get what I deserve because I deserve hell and you deserve hell. That's it. We deserve to be separated from God because of our sin. Yet there's not one of us in this room who is getting what we deserve. It's, Jesus told a parable about it. The effort that you've had to put in simply surviving when you have an encounter with Jesus becomes redirected towards thriving. What does that mean? He's got creative solutions. And his creative solution for you is not to give 150 hours a week to a job just to make it. That's not his best. His best is for you to work smarter, not harder. And he is the smartest one in the room every time. And you got the mind of Christ. Your time you spend gossiping and talking about others will be redirected towards telling people who they are in Christ, declaring the good news of Jesus. Not talking about all the negative and bad things they've done. Your sleep will be redirected from nightmares and restless nights to dreams and visions given to you by God himself. All it takes is a redirect. All it takes is having an encounter with Jesus. And then all this stuff begins to redirect. And you have everything you need right now to get where he's called you to go. You'll start using it. You'll start using it when you have that encounter with him. That's why I want to do communion today. There's a lot of different teachings on communion. Um, I just defer to Jesus. He said, this is my body. It was broken for you. This is my blood. It was poured out for you. And here's what he says. Here's the stipulation of communion. I know there's people out there. There's whole denominations that preach. If you're not worthy, you better not take it. I can promise you on my own, I'm not worthy at all. It's Jesus that makes us worthy. And his stipulation, he said, as often as you do this, do it in remembrance of me. Amen. So what happens when we remember Jesus? Well, we're not remembering or thinking of ourselves. It directs our thoughts from the self-centered, I don't measure up. It, directs, it redirects our thoughts from the self-centered, how can I be accepted by God? It redirects us to the, God who came in the flesh, lived for us, died for us, and then rose again with the keys of life and death in his hand that saves us by his grace, that covers us and washes us in his blood. We're going to partake in this as a church, right? We're going to respond first with the worship team. I'm going to invite the worship team up. I want us to respond to the message during worship. And then I'm going to come back up and lead us in communion, but I wanted to talk about it here just for a second before we jumped into this song and sang with the band. Because I don't, I don't know if communion is a part of your life on a regular basis, but if it's not, it should be, right? It doesn't have to always be juice and bread or whatever. Um, one of my favorite things we've ever done here was a couple of those weeks we were shut down when we had an online service. We uh, said, you know, let's do communion with whatever you have in your house and then post what it was later. I remember we had people post and they had goldfish and orange juice communion, right? They had um, grits and coffee communion, right? <laughs> it doesn't have to be wine and juice. It's all just a symbol anyway. Juice is wine or juice is a great symbol because it's red like blood. Bread is a great symbol because it's uh, you know similar to the color of flesh, but it doesn't have to be anything. All we have to do is partake in the elements in remembrance of Jesus, and it directs our thoughts off of ourselves and directs them onto him. If you've never had an encounter with him, if you've never understood his nature, if you've been the kind of person that thinks, well, he is punishing me, if you've been the kind of person that doesn't understand, we can at least have a starting point of the blood and body of Jesus that were broken and poured out for us. That's our starting point, right? Right? And if it gets our mind off of ourself and our own shortcomings and on Him, who He is and His grace for us, it's a great starting point to begin to redirect these things in our lives to the right path. So that's what we're gonna do. So we're gonna worship here for a few moments. Let's all stand together. So we're gonna respond in worship. He's so good to us, and we're just gonna lift our voice in our hands and declare that freely. And then I'm gonna come up and lead us in communion Then I'll invite the prayer ministers and release us. But I think this is going to be a really good way to begin to redirect thoughts that we have. Sometimes we need to see something physical. We need to see it. We need to taste it. It Kind of gives us that jolt we need to get our minds off of our own selves. So let's worship here for a few minutes and hold on to your communion. We're going to come back up and do it.